on the phone with me now. Jason. Jason Fratsky with Mayo Clinic. What are we what are we calling? I always screwed up, Jason. It's Mayo Clinic, but obviously it's um, Mayo Clinic Franciscan Healthcare and Lacrosse. Okay, and you have you have quite the title now. Mayo Chief Nursing Officer, Incident Commander for the COVID nineteen HICS response team. Just that. Do you have any more titles? Or no, that, that's plenty today. Yeah, that, I don't need any more. That's by good. by next week, you'll you'll have another title. I'm sure. I hope I hope they take one away if that's the case. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so so uh, biggest biggest issue right now. We have five confirmed cases in Lacrosse County. I think you know, in, in bigger cities, this is becoming uh, more and more serious. Um, is it only a matter of time before w- w- this thing really ramps up around here? Yeah, I, I, yes, we're we're certainly not at at a peak in terms of the incidents that we'll see in our in our region. Uh, would anticipate that we will obviously see an increase in the number of cases over time. I think the important thing is, you know, we know that that will occur. We can look across, our, you know, just within our own country and across other aspects of the world. And um, but I think it's really about how do we keep that number as flat as possible. And I think that's going to be an important part um, as we go forward. Um, I was talking uh, with our news team just earlier in the show about making a quarantine zone out of the Green Island Ice Arena. That was a rumor. But the fact that we might need, I don't know if you want to call them quarantine zones or like secondary hospitals or just, you know, do you think we'll get to that point where we need to, and my idea was maybe, hey, we have like three shop codes that are vacant and a Kmart that's vacant. Um, Do we need to start thinking about that at this point and get ahead of this or, or will we be good? Um, I, I hope that I hope I can just confidently say we'll, we'll be good. Um, you know, we're really doing all the planning we can. The, the issues with you know putting a large amount of individuals in the, into one area um, is the state of their health. And so, um, if people are um, you know positive, well, meaning you know they're exhibiting symptoms, um, more of common cold, some you know obviously perhaps minor things as it relates to respiratory and. And fever and those likes, that would be fine. But as people could potentially and would likely a portion of that population escalate in terms of the care that they would need, those facilities, unless we brought lots of equipment in, would not would not be sufficient. So really, I think, um, you know, what you can um, sort of convey to the listeners here is that, you know, uh, my institution at Mayo Clinic, as well, I'm sure our, our um, compadres there at Gunderson are really ramping up to be able to provide care in a way that, you know, obviously continues to uh, be safe and efficient for, for, sorry about that, safe and efficient for, for the community, but um, whether they need um, that type of care. But we will be doing some of that, you know, um, quarantine is not the, the right word, but we'll be segmenting um, populations off within our facilities uh, to really separate the, you know, the positive or um, with the patients that are there every day because they need the care, medical care, um, for other health reasons. All right, again, we're talking with Jason Fratsky, Mayo Chief Nursing Officer and Incident Commander for the COVID-19 HICS response team. I don't know what HICS means, but I, I'm guessing health and, and something and something. It's it's actually a hospital incident command system, and it's a, it's a way in which we just sort of, uh, in the in the terms of a major event disaster, if you will, um, it's a process uh, and a structure in which we sort of use, and that structure matches actually um, our county, state, and federal um, colleagues as it relates to incident command system. So it's a way in which we can communicate and use similar language 
if we need to across sort of those public entities and other things within our facility. But it's really another organizational structure in, in the event of a disaster or you know major event like this. Um, when it comes to the the COVID nineteen coronavirus, what what is the best way to just talk about that? Because coronavirus is a very general. Do we do we want to say COVID nineteen? Is that kind of how we should we we should be depicting this thing? Yeah, I think that's really where the the nomenclature has really changed uh, towards that COVID nineteen. There are other types of coronavirus. Um, there are many different sort of um, lines of it, if you will. So um, to be specific, it is COVID-19. It's the specific virus that we're talking about, yes. Okay, so when it comes to COVID-19 and, and we have five confirmed cases, uh, do you know how many people we've tested in the county or maybe at, at, maybe at, uh, at Mayo individually? Or uh, is that information that we know? Yeah, I can give you a, ball, a ballpark, at least from a Mayo perspective. I think um, you're probably looking at about three to 350 people have been tested at Mayo Clinic, um, and so the number of individuals, we have the drive-through, um, which I can talk more about, but we see roughly there between 40 to 50 patients a day, and that's where we were trying to funnel the majority of our, our um, individuals or patients that need testing. We do still do a few here and there related to our clinics or emergency department as needed, but um, I'd probably say as an institution, we've been doing somewhere between 40 and, and 60, 60 a day, depending on the day. You're testing 40 to 60 people a day, mostly through the drive-thru? Yeah, correct. Okay. Correct. Um, yep. And we still only have five, but how long does it take for, okay, I, I go to the drive-thru today at noon. Uh, when will yep. I know if I have it? Um, it depends it's, as quickly as we can get that, that test over to our testing center in Rochester, and they can turn that test around in a matter of hours. But for us, it's just a matter of a little bit of logistics. So you typically, if it was noon, we'd either know later this evening or, or, or tomorrow morning. Okay, so less than a day or so. Yep, yep, 24 hours for, for just sort of a safety factor. Okay, that's a, that's a lot more tests than I, I, I anticipated we'd be doing. Is, the, is it weird that we're still at five if we're testing, uh, you know, 50 people a day? Well, I'd use a different adjective instead of weird. I'd say it's a very positive sign that our community has is, is continued to do things that we've asked them to do, and that's obviously the shelter-in-place, you know, the, the hand-washing, hand, hand hygiene, really trying to do things uh, in a way that um, prevents that and keeps that curve flat. As I said, anticipate that will go up at some point. But I think a lot of the efforts, and I know they've been very difficult decisions, whether it's canceling schools or other, you know, public um, restaurants and, and bars and you name it, uh, very difficult for our way of life, but I think very effective over time in terms of helping us reduce the incidence and opportunity for this virus to spread. And and with with that, if you're testing 50 people a day at at just at Mayo, do you do you anticipate that Gunderson's kind of doing the same amount? Yeah, I think they've uh, they've uh, as I understand, um, I don't know about the amount. I wouldn't be surprised. It's very similar. Um, they've got their testing up and running there too. So. Uh, that's all good news for our community in terms of turning around, you know, these tests and, and getting answers fairly quickly. So it's good. Um, this might be a better question for someone at Gunderson, but you guys in Rochester, they kind of developed a test, right? Uh, maybe a week ago or two, maybe longer, uh, developed a test, a way to, to figure it out. Do you then help Gunderson figure this out too? Hey, Gunderson, here's how we're testing here. You know, here's the formula. I don't know. Do you guys, are you yeah. teaming up in something like this? Yeah, I think, um, I think yeah, we, Rochester did develop the test probably almost a month ago. Um, and as we're able to, I know that um, um, Dr. Mueller and Dr. Rapgaber have been communi- 
communicating between each other, you know, sharing what's going on and, and uh, really trying to reach those kind of decisions. Um, there's also the, the support that, you know, we give information to the county or to the state, and then sometimes um, other hospitals around around the state or around our region can, can reach out to them as well. So where, we, where, where it makes sense, we definitely want to be able to partner and, and do the right thing for our community together. Again, we're talking with Mayo Chief Nursing Officer and COVID-19 response Team Incident Commander Jason Fratsky. Um, with with the amount of testing, I'm just going to keep going on the testing here. Um, what, do you have enough tests? Is there a, an ample supply of you know? I don't I, I I don't know what all goes into the testing, but a lot of places are really you know holding withholding the the test you know only for certain people or certain people that show certain symptoms. Um, is there? Are, I know we don't have an infinite supply, but are we good there with the amount of testing that we have? Well, I would say I'll answer that first with we are we are definitely doing the, the a triage. So if anyone does um, have concerns, um, exhibiting you know signs or uh, just fear about whether or not they've contacted or come in contact with someone with the virus, I'd ask you. And I know this process is 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 true pretty much anywhere. Is that we ask you to to call um, either your primary care uh, provider uh, and work through that, and often they'll even ask you to call it what we have a COVID nurse line. Um, and that line then goes through a process in which sort of helps articulate whether or not you're at risk and whether you should be tested. So conserving those supplies from testing is still very important. So we ask that everybody go through that and no one will be tested without going through that algorithm. But once that algorithm is in place and they recognize that we do and for whatever factors, risk factors have been identified, um, the supply is um, it, it comes and goes. It's it's we're in a, we're in an okay place right now. I'd say from a you know just from a swab, you know, using what we use to um, do the test itself in the nasal uh, pharynx area, um, we're okay now. Um, those were in short supply probably about a week and a half, two weeks ago. We did get some additional supply for for at least a little time. And the other piece is that uh, once you take that swab, you need to put it into a medium meaning you need to preserve that swab as it's transported. But we've had some shortages in terms of sometimes in, in what we need to put the swab in as we transport it to the lab. Um, we're doing okay, but I know that we're um, right now at Mayo Clinic looking at ways, alternative ways to, to find transportation that we can do without the medium. So lots of research is going in on that right now. Do you guys use uh, that those Ziploc bags with the seal, that color, the color seal that shows that it is Ziploc? Are you using Ziploc bags? No? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure. We, it is a bag of some sort, whether it's Ziploc, I'm not sure, but I know that we do transport them in a sealed bag, yeah. Okay. Uh, trying to make light a little bit of the of everything that's going no, on. Oh, no, it's good. Um, how has life changed for for people working at you know for nurses? Like essentially, can you just talk about like how life has changed for everybody that works at the hospital and the 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 idea that they I don't know are, is everyone wearing a hazmat suit? Obviously not, but yeah. Um, you know yeah. what what's life changed? At, what's life like at the hospital now? So I, I would say, um, first, let me just acknowledge um, all of the amazing staff, I'm sure, across our, our region, but I'll speak to the Mayo Clinic staff for sure, is that their um, fortitude, willingness to accept change on a daily, almost hourly basis related to some of these things, and their tireless effort to come in, do extra, um, do new roles, try new things, um, be asked to really do some things that they never we hadn't anticipated has been phenomenal. So let me thank them first. But um, we're definitely ramped down. Um, we've uh, stopped doing elective surgeries. Um, and uh, even what we call non, 
uh, semi-non-urgent surgeries, and as well as we've been canceling some of our um, been canceling some of our um, outpatient practice uh, appointments as well. And that's in part uh, for those that really can be seen, let's say, eight weeks from now. It's not an urgent uh, or emergent visit, but anything that is uh, urgent or emergent, we're still um, scheduling. And, and partly why we're doing all that, obviously, is to decrease the risk factor, the ability for that virus to spread um, within our facilities, protect our patients, protect our staff, et cetera. So we've really, the reason I'm saying is we really ramped down a lot of our capacity for normal business, which has allowed us to start thinking about how we're going to use staff in different ways. And we're in a good place right now because, uh, as you've already shared, we've only had five positive um, cases in our region, but you know, at any moment that potentially could start to escalate and we'll have to start thinking differently about the way we do our work and pulling people from areas that um, are not doing their usual work and asking them to do things that are different. And again, that goes to the amazing part of how our staff are able to adapt to that and really address that. So a bit of an unknown, um, we do have what we call a labor pool, uh, essentially having people report that, uh, you know, should we need them, and we'll pull them into different areas, and so we're really tracking all of that and being prepared as things escalate, if if indeed they do. Is anyone reluctant? Like I'm, I'm the uh, nurse that that does X-rays on ankles, you know, or whatever. I don't know if they do X-rays on everything. And now you say you're talking about like a pool, you know, in case something happens, we got to pull from here and there. Is anyone reluctant? Like, um, actually, I kind of want to stay in this X-ray area where I'm not dealing with anyone with COVID nineteen. But yeah. <laughs> Well, I would say by and far the majority of our staff are, are very, very willing to be adaptive and understand the situation calls for us to do things that maybe aren't necessarily in our comfort zone. But part of that's incumbent upon us as an organization. It, you know, obviously it's not going to be a full normal orientation of, you know, uh, 10 to 12 weeks long to get somebody into a new position. But it's also, you know, what can we do as we do have perhaps, um, you know, this little time before things escalate to really get some individuals where we know we'll need them in different areas and, and get them exposed to those areas now with people who have time to sort of go through some of those things with them and help them understand the role a little bit better. But we don't want to put people in, in circumstances where they obviously um, can't can't do the work. We ask them to do something that's beyond their, their knowledge or expertise. We have to be very careful about that. So, But often many of these things are be simply we need somebody to transport, we need somebody to help with uh, some logistical things, uh, care in some areas. Yeah, I'd imagine you, you have to have more people on the phone just uh, going through the checklist of symptoms and whether or not they should come in and get a test, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's definitely, and we can do a lot of that from from remotely. We don't even need to be on site to do some of that work now, so that's all good. Um, and another thing when it comes to supplies, you talk about like the, the supplies for testing kind of come and go. We're good now. We pro- Maybe we won't be good in a week, a week from now, is, is is would that be fair to say or not? I think we're okay for the, for the, at this level. I mean, it's, it's again this unpredictability of whether or not we have an increase. But I'd say we're good for for yeah, for sure a week, probably two, um, and then by then we're looking at you know continuing to try to acquire supplies. So it's very fluid in terms of our supply situation. But um, just to say it, it you know can change pretty quickly, all depending upon the number of cases. Uh, on top of that, you know, with other supplies, like I'm, I'm reading the ventilator is the only thing that comes to mind, but other things like that, when people actually do have to come into the hospital and get treatment, um, I guess not treatment, but like, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Do you, do you have like a stockade of that stuff? Yeah, we've, we, we call it a surge plan. 
and we've we've begun to really think about if things do turn to a place where we need that kind of intensive care treatment and a lot more than we have the capability today, is how many ventilators do we have? Uh, how many other things do we need in terms of uh, you know the varying levels of care we may be able to provide? And so. Um, we do look at, you know, some of the, the factors, certainly our equipment and rooms and those kind of things. I think to some extent, as we get into, as we talked about the labor pool and the extent, the, the knowledge needed to care for these patients, our, our, our resource limits may be people in terms of care, to care for these, because we imagine even some of, you know, other, even some of our employees may be um, unfortunate to become positive and, um, you know, through the community or other things if it comes to that. But we're definitely talking about how do we surge up really at, at Mayo. We're talking about doubling or even beyond that, our capacity, where would we do that. So um, that is active work that's occurring. Um, and then the last thing with equipment, I know I'm just bugging you about equipment. Uh, everybody's talking about masks. There's not enough masks. I think N95 masks. I see a lot yeah. of Facebook posts where they're in Washington. They're having like sewing Camps, I guess, you know, healthcare workers are sewing masks together. I've seen a couple of friends even were sewing masks, and I don't know if they're donating to the hospital, but maybe to other places. Are we, where are we with masks? Yeah, so that's exactly the same kind of situation as relates to other supplies. It's sort of week to week on that. Um, I would say right now we're in a, we're, we're in a place where we are good for, at least for a little stretch. Again, it all depends. Utilization of those masks depends on how many patients you have in your facility. And right now, uh, we have you know a handful of patients uh, in our facility, so it doesn't burn up our PPE equipment or masks as quickly. But what I would say is that you know obviously it's awesome that our community is reaching out and asking how they can help. And making masks is certainly one way that I think people are feeling that they can contribute to that. We would not want to use those masks. Um, within healthcare until it was really a last resort as it relates to particularly caring for patients with COVID or COVID-like symptoms until we've confirmed it. Now, that may be a different situation as we've learned across the country and the world is that sometimes you run out of what you would normally work. And so having that stockpile um, of potential cloth masks may be, you know, something that we'll have to use. I would, I would say it might be a great use. I know that some of our um, nursing home Colleagues perhaps could use some of that equipment. I mean, I would leave that up to them. But um, and even uh, as it relates to regular individuals out and about, um, you know, covering your mask, if you, especially if you have symptoms at home and, and wearing a mask, and you know, it would at least deter some of the if you sneeze and those kind of things. So, um, you know, there is a place potentially for them. But right now, we're continued. We're, we're okay on supplies that relates to masks, but I know some areas are not. Sure. Is is uh, is all that stuff with equipment just a little bit nerve wracking? As a you know, as a, someone in your position, and and oh, you know, wow, this is a week to week thing, and you know, everybody in the nation needs this stuff. Yeah, it is a little bit nerve wracking because you know we're, we're going to be at the whim of of you know the companies that produce that um, those kind of things. So I, you know, the other thing is I know a lot of uh, industry around the country is ramping up and doing things to to try to to deal with some of those shortages. The question will be, will it be in time so that we don't get into a situation where we don't have the resources we need? I mean, I'm sure others have seen um, ventilators obviously could potentially be an issue based on, you know, our experiences from Italy and other countries. We hope it doesn't get to that, but I heard today that GM and Ford and maybe Tesla are looking at um, um, building um, um, ventilators. So that kind of thing is obviously going to be very crucial and very helpful if, if needed in the future. 
All right, Jason Frasky, Mayo Chief Nursing Officer and COVID-19 Response Team Incident Commander. Thanks for being on with me and, and answering some questions. Yeah, Rick, anytime. Appreciate it. Thank all right. You. Hey, and that's uh, that's kind of all the time I have. So I'm going to have to let you go on that note. We'll, uh, we'll kind of regroup and, and do it all again tomorrow. Thanks a lot, guys.